a brand new club and a brand new sport with the ever-active Jennifer Elliott of the Centennial Tigers, plus a decade of Aussie rules football in the Buckeye State Capitol with Stephanie McKittrick of the Columbus Cats. All of that is coming up next. This is Episode 6 of the Marks and Stripes USAFL Podcast. G'day everyone, my name is Brian Barish. We welcome you once again to the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast, the official podcast of the United States Australian Football League. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, as well as on the Wooshka app and anywhere you normally listen to your podcast. We have a great show this week. We have two uh, fantastic women, uh, one of them on a team that has just started up, the Centennial Tigers, that of course, Jennifer Elliott. And Jennifer is relatively new to the sport, uh, which is great to get her perspective on coming in and starting a new club uh, with Sarah Edwards Rohner uh, almost from scratch. Uh, and then we have Stephanie McKittrick, who has played for the Columbus Jillaroos and now the Columbus Cats uh, since the women's team came around in 2010. So uh, stick around. We'll have that in just a few minutes. But first, uh, just relaying some uh kind of down news, but uh, news that I think uh, everyone had kind of expected over the last couple of weeks, and uh, that was the announcement on uh, Friday morning to the presidents of the league, uh, and well as Friday afternoon to the rest of the league on our social media, that the 2020 regional championship series has been canceled due to health concerns over the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The goal, once we are able to to resume play is for uh, teams to take part in smaller tournaments and sub-regionals, if you will. There's more information about all of this on our website, usafl.com. But it is important to remember that all of this is predicated on when we can all across the country uh, come back and be safe again once the uh, this has abated to the point where we can go back out and and play football again in a a safe environment. I know a lot of states are starting to ease up on uh, restrictions, especially I know here in Pennsylvania that that's happening as well. And I know that in some where you are, that might be happening if you're listening in Australia as well. Uh, But that is the most important thing is the safety of uh, of the players, uh, our club people, as well as the umpires and all of our, all of our partners as well. So, uh, Hopefully we will be back and and, uh, playing football soon uh, this summer in the lead up to uh, what we hope will be a great national championship carnival in Ontario, California, uh, the weekend of October 10th and 11th. So stay tuned to our website, usafl.com, as well as our social media channels, facebook.com slash usafl, and on Twitter and Instagram at usafl1997. All right, enough Debbie Downer. Let's get to two cracking interviews. A little bit later on, we'll be talking to Stephanie McKittrick about the Columbus Cats and also asking her opinion on which of her favorite hockey team, uh, which player from her favorite hockey team, would make the best Australian football player. But first, we talk to Jennifer Elliott of the USAFL's newest team, the Centennial Tigers. Now, before we talk to Jen, just a little bit of an explanation. Uh, for those of you not familiar, the city of Centennial is a suburb of Denver, located in Colorado, of about 100,000 people. And the uh, Centennial team is intended to represent uh, the suburban area uh, south of Denver. All right, uh, now that we have that, let's get to the interview. 
The newest club to enter the USAFL did so at the end of 2019 with the addition of the Centennial Tigers. The Tigers are located just outside the city of Denver in Colorado, which is a place that has a pretty extensive history in the sport of Australian football. One of the players that is just getting it on the ground floor is the vice president of the Centennial Tigers, Jennifer Elliott. Jennifer, thanks for joining us on Marks and Stripes. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, inviting me along to just chat with you for a bit. Oh, absolutely. What else are we doing besides, you know, staying healthy and all that other stuff? <laughs> right. So you're, like I said, you're relatively new to the game of, of Australian football. How did you get into the to it and, and what, grabbed your, uh, what grabbed your interest in the sport? Well, um, the short answer to this is always my funny quip that Sarah Rona, Roner bullied me into it. Um, <laughs> but uh, to add a little bit to that, um, Sarah's husband and my boyfriend both play on the same rugby club here in Denver called the Denver Highlanders and they were having a dinner for their 50th anniversary and I remember seeing Sarah on the sidelines when I would come out to watch games but she and I you know we really didn't know each other all that well we just kind of like knew that we existed hmm. so at the anniversary dinner um, she came up to me and I was like oh hi it's good to see you and kind of introduced myself formally and um, she said well um, it's good, you know, great to meet you, and by the way, uh, you kind of look aggressive. I see some fire in your eyes. You should come out and play Australian rules football. And, and that just kind of rocked me back because I have no sporting background. I've never played a team sport in my life, but um, I am an active athletic person. So I, I just, I, you know, kind of thought about it for a half second and went, you know, I might just do that <laughs> and proceeded to um, tuck myself in the corner of the dining room with my plate of dinner and my phone starting to look up um, US, well actually AFL games just to see what the sport looked like. I didn't even know what it looked like. Um, I was, you know, I'd heard uh, that there was a sport out there called Australian rules football. So um, my first introduction was Sarah telling me I was aggressive, or looked, or looked aggressive, <laughs> and, uh, and then watching some of the AFL playoff highlights and thinking, gosh, that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> so um, a week later, I attended my first practice. And here we are. And the, and the story and writes itself. So now you mentioned that you had no sporting background, and that's actually, we were just talking before we uh, went on air here, um, mm -hmm. that that's not an uncommon theme, that there are a lot of uh, folks who are playing in the USAFL and, and actually just who play the sport all over the place that have a no sporting background, that had never played a sport. So that um, has there been anything about this that you thought might be challenging that you've actually kind of picked up and been like, hey, no, this isn't so bad. I think I can do this. I think just overall not really knowing what to expect. Um, and my, my comment to Sarah as we chatted before my first practice, because she's really good at kind of uh, keeping people engaged that she's got as a potential recruit. She doesn't just ask them to come and then wait for them to show up. So we messaged a couple of times in between our first conversation and my first practice. And I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure how this is going to go. I've never done anything like this. But at the very least, you know, um, I can be like 
the team mom <laughs> because I you know I'm coming into this as as an older female um, I am not uh, I'm actually quite proud of my age I'll be turning 49 this year oh. I've got four kids one in the Navy for a few years and then uh, three teenagers so I'm kind of on the the tail end of my active parenting you know I, I, I just really didn't know how I was gonna handle it but I was I'm, I'm up for a challenge um, so you know, stepping on the field and in the first practices, like I think many people experience when they first come into footy, when when you just sort of get thrown on the field in a scrimmage, um, <laughs> it's 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 confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not straightforward, but but I the the game forms itself in your mind yeah. quite quickly. So after a few practices, I felt like um, with the help of the people who were on the team kind of talking me through some things and continuing because I'm a researcher, mm-hmm. not by not by employment, but just by 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 how my brain is wired. So I kept watching um, you know, instructional videos and AFL games and anything I could find in between to help put all of these pieces together. So it was certainly a challenge to wrap my head around um, what this game was. Right. And and the, the, the point of it. Um, being on the ground in the middle of the game, I think, is certainly one of the more challenging places to do it, rather than having that bird's eye view when you're watching video of right. the game in play. Well, uh, uh, two things on what you just said. Firstly, um, I, I can tell you that there are it, – it's great to see uh, women who are uh, around your age get into it. I know that there's a player for Philadelphia, Barb Dempsey, who actually took out the team's uh, – club best and fairest not this past year but the year before at the age of 47 so it can be done and 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 i know that um i felt the same way that you did during your first scrimmage because um I got elbowed right in the stomach, literally like five <laughs> seconds into the game, and I was just like, "Okay, I didn't die. This is fine." Um, right. But but now, talk about the experience of your first game. When did you play your first game? Who was it against, and and what was your thought once you finally were playing a game of consequence? My first game was at the 2018 Nationals. That's oh. the first time I stepped on the field against another team. Oh wow. And yeah. what was that experience like? I mean, you, you, you've come from no sporting experience to now you're playing uh, in a large tournament because it's, you know, a thousand players uh, there. You've got all these teams. You're you're basically in footy geek heaven in a sense because yeah. everybody loves the sport and it's there. What was that first weekend like? Yeah, well, that was my first opportunity to travel because I did join quite late in the season mm-hmm. in 2018. And um, it was a rush. It was amazing. Like I'll admit, I was shocked that the coach even put me in. I was just happy to be there to support the team. I had no expectation of getting game time because I was so new. And um, so I had an opportunity to step on the field with with players who, at least um, in the 2019 season, didn't play. And and I don't know if they're coming back, um, at least in the Denver area, to play footy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like... I kind of had at least, at least um, a tail end of the experience of some of the history of the first club that I was a part of, and um, it was just so much fun. You know, um, thankfully my tackle was not 
on the field at nationals, um, giving or receiving. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I had an opportunity with my own team to, to understand um, the rush and the joy of tackling. <laughs> and um, and I, I do not mind diving right in the middle of, of a pile of people who are fighting for the ball. And um, as a matter of fact, I think it's one of my favorite parts, mm-hmm. um, just being in the thick of it. And, and it was, yeah, the, the best way to describe it was it was an absolute rush. Where do you normally play? You not coming from a, uh, a background where you were actively playing. Um, is awareness in what position you play, was it easy to kind of pick up or is it something that I know a lot of people, they uh, it, like myself, my own experience, it did take a couple of years before me to feel comfortable with the positioning and whatnot. But, do, but have you found any sort of difficulty with that? Well, um, being a newer player, um, in that 2018 season, I was put in a defensive position, which I think, you know, just from seeing um, new players after myself come in, that's, that seems to be like where a lot of people get put if they're not sure where they should be on the field, just to kind of test out and see what their skills and their strengths are. Mm-hmm. So for that, for for my short 2018 season, I was in a defensive position. Had really good support on the team to kind of help coach me while I'm back there to, you know, move forward and move out and get kind of that that field awareness that takes a little while. But coming into the 2019 season, um, I was placed in um, a forward pocket position, and initially um, I wasn't. I wasn't concerned, but it was just like, okay, this is different, but hey, let's give it a go. And it felt good. It felt like a um, really good fit. Um, I had one game that we played that I offered to to switch and fill a defensive position, and that didn't that no longer felt natural. So, you know, at least in the forward line, and and I've played full forward. Um, half and, and pocket, so I've kind of floated around. Um, I do prefer pocket. I feel like it's a good fit for me. The crumbing is something, like I said, you know, I'm um, I'm, I, I, I'm built closer to the ground to begin with. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that That's a very diplomatic why. way of putting it, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 5'3". Yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's a good fit, and it just... My brain feels wired to that type of play, and to be the support for the midfielders, um, try to be there and connect with them, and, and as well as um, depending on how the play is going, if I can get the ball to my uh, full forward, if they're in the right position, or try to go for goal. So, you know, I, I feel I feel really good about um, where I'm at, but I'm also open to how I will continue to develop as an athlete. Well, and that's a good segue to, to this, is that you are uh, part of this new team, the Centennial Tigers, which uh, uh, is scheduled to begin play this year. Of course, we don't know uh, what this is going to look like. But if nothing else, the first couple of months of this new club 
um, has been very fruitful because you have developed yeah. and um, you you have this interesting where you have a base of players, but you also are recruiting new people. Um, talk about being involved in something uh, on the ground level like this that's starting fresh with a with a clean slate. It's so exciting. It really is. And, you know, Sarah and I formed a quick bond um, already kind of coming into the experience with things in common. She's at a different place in her life than I am, but we we click on on um, a level that just really works for doing something like this. And um, having seen um, how Sarah functions on and off the field, I knew that if she had to, she'd make this team happen on her own. Mm -hmm. um, she's probably one of the most determined individuals that I've ever met. And I have a lot of respect for that. So um, when, you know, once I learned that she was looking at forming a team down south, because we did have a lot of people who were having to travel for a long period of time through what become really um, stressful and difficult traffic to make it to practices, to make it to games. Um, many of us are moms, so, uh, and working moms at that. So it does make it really challenging. So when I found out, um, my first uh, comment to her was, what, what can I do to help? How can I help you? Because I know you'll do this by yourself. And I probably said those exact words. Right. <laughs> um, so she told me what she needed help with, and I just jumped right in. So um, it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, you know. And we've actually built up a solid board for the Centennial Tigers. And now what we're looking at is already having 17 registered players with the USAFL. Um, we've um, we found a coach um, who is amazing and supportive and involved. We found uh, support through Tom Ellis, who's come out and done skills clinics for us that are mind blowing. Right. And so, to to build something to support the women on this team that are currently involved and registered, and know that we have something to offer down south that is a really strong culture already right. even though you know we've with six months under our belt um, and and it's it's culture that's really important to us um, that we provide something that's going to encourage women overall give them an outlet for their interests in um, sports and athleticism but most importantly, the mateship and camaraderie and, and everything that underlies and supports being a team. Um, and seeing that has just been incredibly gratifying, seeing the community and their support for us. So, you know, finding a sponsor bar and, and having so many people eagerly step up to sponsor us. We've raised somewhere in the neighborhood of $8,500. Oh, wow. Um, we've had 
you know, we have sponsors stateside. We have sponsors in Australia. Um, we we have um, a couple of um, pro level women who are writing us encouraging letters um, through, I believe, uh, Footy Factory um, has has tapped the women that they're working with in Australia to um, to reach out to us as well and uh, kind of show um, show their support and their their partnership through that. So it's just been mind blowing. Now I know that the COVID nineteen situation has has kind of caused a bit of a, a paradigm shift in how you're preparing for this, uh, whatever season that we do have here. But what have you guys been doing in the last month and a half? I know that um, a number of other folks happen to be mentioning that that you're itching to get back on the field, which is um, it, it's not going to happen for some time. But what have you guys been doing to kind of keep all that momentum that you've built over the last six months going? Yeah, it's not easy, um, and I would venture to guess that every club um, in this sport and any other sport that's on hold right now is feeling that same tension. Um, so we utilize what a lot of other people are doing. Um, we do um, kind of more social video call happy hours. We've done uh, a Sunday brunch together, you know, just to to keep the, the camaraderie and the connection going. Um, we reach out to each other um, on a more personal basis. We have our, um, our team WhatsApp that we use to connect to, the, to everyone at once, just, you know, to, to send out a, hey, we're thinking about you guys, or, you know, kind of here's, here's what we're hearing about when we may be able to start. Um, and just trying to keep that interest in the momentum going. We've got our new uniforms on the way. So. <laughs> I saw them, by um, the way. They look amazing. And if you haven't uh, seen that yet, go onto the Centennial Tigers uh, social media. You'll be able to see what they look like. But I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they look like on the field. Oh, you're going to see so many pictures of us in our uniforms <laughs> <laughs> once they come in. Uh, we just. We're just over the moon excited, and and Footy Factory is sending us out some singlets that they've uh, designed for the team, and, and it's just so, you know, I'm I'm kind of kicking around some ideas of, of how we can do, potentially how we can do virtual trainings. Mm -hmm. That's it's it's challenging. It's hard to play a team sport or practice a team sport when you can't be in each other's vicinity. Um, the field that we had reserved and still have reserved once we're able to get there um, has indicated that um, since Colorado is, is opening up certain areas a little bit at a time and they've indicated that certain parks can be opened um, with stipulations based on each parks and recreation organization and what their own rules are um, and, and right now they're saying they're okay with us practicing, however, <laughs> with stipulations of, of signing the waiver that we agree will have um, no more than 10 people, which can make it a little bit difficult. And we have to wear masks, mm -hmm. and we have to stay six feet away from each other. So the no more than 10 people, we, f we feel that we can probably navigate that um, in a way that is um, you know, completely within compliance. The mask part is what trips us up. Because I don't know of any person who is involved 
in a sport that requires running or, or even sprinting. <laughs> right. Who wants to try to do that with a mask on? So, um, but you know, understanding that the consequences if we go ahead and go out and do whatever it is we want to do, which is not how we function, um, we lose the contract and we lose the money we paid for the field. Right. So, um, so yeah, we're you know, we're in a little bit of a holding pattern, but we're constantly evaluating what is going on, looking at the surrounding areas because Centennial is not the only area that we pull from and function in. You know, we do have Parker, we do have Lone Tree, we have Highlands Ranch, uh, we have Castle Rock, um, Littleton, other areas. Uh, anyone listening to the podcast may or may not be familiar with. So, um, and and they cover different counties. So we have to kind of be aware of the different counties' requirements and restrictions currently. Yeah. So, you know, um, our group is also on Strava. We have a club on Strava. Um, and um, that, that helps us be, like, just internally competitive with each other. So um, I've been walking while we're doing our podcast, and I turned my Strava tracker on. So, <laughs> I so, can tell because I, I'm just like you're definitely not stationary. <laughs> nah. Well, and I'm I'm just not the stationary type either. I'm right. always on the move, always going. So, yeah. So we have time for one more question, and we always like to make this a fun question. Here is. Um, I, I like this because you're you're definitely like like as you said you're an active person and everybody kind of has a, a superstition in a sense. So um, my question to you is: Do you have have you developed a pregame uh, superstition yet? Pregame. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out because I'm learning that there are certain. Um, things you might eat or drink or that are not good <laughs> before a game. Now, these are not from personal experience. Um, I just, you know, you get that, those butterflies and the nerves. Um, and so um, I guess kind of my pre-game is to eat um, really light, like a piece of fruit mm -hmm. and just like a couple of spoons of oatmeal because if I try to do more than that, I just, I don't feel good about it. That's sensible. I think for me also, my socks have to be on a certain way. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I've noticed that I've, I did through last season is is that they have to go on a certain foot. Like it's got to be my right foot first and my left, and then it's got to be folded down a very particular way. I have not seen the socks for the Tigers yet. Will they have stripes? Uh, <laughs> um, we are still nailing down which uh, socks we want to use. Um, I'm going to say, uh, you mean like tiger stripes? Ooh, or just like regular like stripes, <laughs> like, like, like hoops. Like hoops? I'm going to say we're probably a no on the hoops. Uh, I gotcha. We're an anti-hoop kind of group. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. We won't judge you too harshly. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, best of luck uh, to you uh, as your footy career continues, to the Tigers as they get underway, hopefully here in 2020, uh, and all the best going forward. Thank you so much, Brian. You take care. We're going to take a quick break and come straight back. When we do, we'll be talking with Stephanie McKittrick of the Columbus Cats. You're listening to the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. Australian rules football in the U.S.? That's right. The United States Australian Football League is in a city near you. 
Go to USAFL.com. Find your team. Check them out. We're a group full of men and women just like you. Join us for the fun athletic competition. Stay for the camaraderie. We want the champion! Log on and sign up to join your team at USAFL.com. Welcome back to the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. We'll be talking with Stephanie McKittrick in just a moment or two. But first, on last week's show, I broached the idea of having names on the back of jumpers. There was an outlet in Australia that had posited that question, and I had mentioned that uh, uh, opinions were pretty split. Now, uh, there was another uh, jumper-related question that was put out to the Twitterverse and the Internetverse, uh, if that is a word, Internet Universe, something like that, the World Wide Web. That's what that is, um, about what the best non-AFL jumper was. And we saw uh, a lot of uh, great jumpers from in Australia and also from just all over the world. And that made me think about the history of the jumpers here in the USAFL. And that's something that uh, hopefully you'll be seeing on our website uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's a bit of a project, as I've, as I've found out. Um, but uh, it's interesting because there's a, definitely a little bit of a balance. As many people know, there's a lot of teams here that share names and colors and have partnerships with AFL clubs, uh, such as the New York Magpies, the Philadelphia Hawks, the Orange County Giants, the Austin Crows. Uh, and in many of these cases, the jumpers uh, are... Added, there's an added uh, local twist. I mentioned New York. Uh, you know, on the front, they've got the black and white stripes, just like they do in Collingwood. But if you look at the back, they've got the skyline of New York City. In Philadelphia, they have a hawk clutching the Liberty Bell, which is, of course, a symbol uh, of freedom here in, in the city of brotherly love. Um, but then you have a lot of teams that have uh, unique names to the world of Australian football. Uh, A couple of my favorites are the San Francisco Iron Maidens, uh, who, of course, wear the blue and orange jumpers with the silver and and the depiction of the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, Or you have the Los Angeles Dragons, who make teal and orange look so, so good. And then you have the brand new Dallas Dingoes. Now, full disclosure, I designed the logo, but not the jumper for them. And they've got uh, a, a bit of a um, indigenous looking dingo on the front of their jumper and it does look rather badass. There's lots of great jumpers around the league. Some of them are uh, really uh, extravagant looking and some of them are very simple. Take the Seattle Grizzlies, simple black and and uh, and green or the Portland Steelheads and the Sockeyes, which is that light blue with the chevron that is either uh, dark blue or salmon, depending on whether it's the men's team or the women's team. There is that old adage that if your grandmother can't design it, it's not a good jumper. Uh, I am a big fan of hockey, uh, as our next guest is. You'll hear that in a moment. And I think that the jumper, much like a hockey uniform, is a canvas. And you can do all sorts of stuff with it. And why be plain when you can, you know, put some scenery on it? Uh, Kind of like the Brisbane Lions indigenous jumper, which had kind of a night, almost like a desert scene on it. And I thought that was beautiful. We'd love to hear what your favorite USA AFL jumper is just shout shout us out on uh, any of our social media at USAFL1997 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash USAFL. All right, enough of me. Let's get to Stephanie.
The Columbus Australian Football Club celebrated their 10th season last year, and as the team now known as the Cats heads into uh, season number 11, they're coming off a very interesting season. On the men's side, uh, they finished runner-up in Division Three behind Boston. On the women's side, they had a, a solid season, and one that has seen them grow uh, from their first season back in 2010. Now, for the Cats, formerly known as the Jillaroos, it's been up and down for the last decade, but there's been one constant, and that has been Stephanie McKittrick, and she joins us here on the Marks and Stripes USFL podcast. Maka, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. I'm good. Surviving quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. So yeah. you are, you've been around, this is going into uh, when we do resume, this will be your 11th season, but you started playing football earlier than that. How did you get into the sport of Australian rules football? Um, back at the end of 2005, I went and to Australia for about nine months. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was Australian. So I went over there for her and she came up to me one day and went, we're going to go play the sport. And so I was like, okay, I like sports. I grew up playing sports. Um, and so we ended up joining a women's team, um, the Yarra Valley Cougars, um, on the outskirts of Melbourne. Um, and so I played an entire season there. They were actually playing our final game on my flight home because <laughs> I had to get out of the country. Um, but yeah, so I learned in Australia, played an entire season there. And then when I got home in 2006, um, this was August, um, I had done an internet search and found the USAFL. However, the closest team was um, an hour away from me and didn't have a women's team, and I didn't really feel comfortable personally um, going and playing with a bunch of men. I was 21 at the time. Um, but Catherine Hogg kept all of my information, and so when Columbus formed a women's team in 2010, um, she sent the information to them, who then contacted me, and I've been with them since. Now... The Columbus team had been founded in 2008 with uh, Chet Ridenour, and it was just a year and a half later that you ended up uh, playing uh, for the first time with the Jillaroos. What was that first season like? Um, it was interesting, but it was obviously a lot of fun. Um, it was great coming in because I only missed the first practice. I've been there since the second practice. Um, and I didn't have any expectation. I knew going in that... Um, all of the women that were playing were new to the sport, um, and I was the only one that had any sort of experience whatsoever. But um, it was great going in because everybody was super passionate about it. Everybody wanted to get in and play and build it up as much as possible, and it was just a great original core um, that you can't recreate. It's just everybody from the women playing to the men supporting them were there, and I couldn't have asked for a better first season. So you go through that first season, and then the next season you actually got paired with Boston in Nationals, and you came up, if I remember correctly, just one point short uh, of advancing to the semifinals. But uh, all in all, the team had grown that year. You had new uniforms with the black and the pink, and it, it seemed like you had a lot of momentum, and then things kind of tailed off a bit. Yeah, um, we had a good, lot of good momentum, and then life got in the way. Um, being based in Columbus, we got a lot of people from Ohio State. So a lot of our issues with getting people and keeping people for a summer sport is a lot of people go home for the summer. And so we had a bit of that issue where 
people were graduating and then moving on for other things. And we just kind of slowly dwindled down because um, that 2012 season, I think there were only three of us finally at that point. Yeah, sadly, just being kind of college-based has made it a little more difficult to keep up people consistently. Right. Now, before we get into, I guess, what stemmed from that, those two years, I believe, in 2012-2013, despite the fact that the Jills um, were uh, struggling for numbers, for lack of a better term, though, you uh, got a chance to play for the national team, I believe, in both of those years. Yes. Um, yeah, because 2012, the um, Parallel Cup was actually held in Dublin, uh, which is the outskirts of Columbus, for those that don't know. Um, and so there were a couple of girls that um, were unable to make the trip that were originally supposed to, so they were short on numbers. So me and um, Christy, um, I'm blanking on her last name, I'm sorry. Um, we called her <laughs> Cujo. That's all, yeah, Cujo. Uh, so Cujo and I um, ended up joining and playing um, with the Liberty squad for that in 2012 when it was held in Dublin. Um, and then the following year, summer, um, I actually went and tried out and made the Liberty squad and went to Edmonton in 2013 for the Parallel Cup. And what was what did you learn most uh, as a footballer from those two uh, opportunities to play in the Parallel Cup? Um, I they were just amazing. Um, I mean, it's great playing in the league and playing on your team, but it just seeing everybody in the country come together playing on these two teams. Um, I, I don't know that I've had another experience like it. Um, it's just, it was just, everybody was welcoming from the people who it may have been their first year to the people who have been there basically since the beginning. Um, the things you learn just from the coaching and people obviously who are used to going and are more structured than some other teams. And it was just, I don't even know how I can describe how great an experience it was. Um, I really wish I could have continued on, but money was a factor for 2014. <laughs> hmm. um, but I don't know. I can't, there aren't really words to describe being chosen to play for team USA in 2013. Even if it was just Liberty squad, it was just, I wasn't expecting to actually be chosen. So, <laughs> Well, there's a lot of folks who I know try and, and, you, you've gotten farther than they have. So I think that's something, there's obviously something there in that. Um, after 2013, you mentioned that in 2012 that there were only three women uh, from Columbus. By 2013, you were the only player at Nationals. And as the 2014 uh, season started, uh, I remember you telling me that you were still the only player. But then something happened. Uh, there was an Osball program, if I remember correctly, and there was an influx of players after that helped shape the team uh, from then on. Yes, um, we got really lucky. Um, one of the men on the clump on our side, um, Anish, he helped um, and they was doing, um, a, we had an Osball league through young business people of Columbus. I forget what it's called, something along those lines. Um, but he, like, they have a whole bunch of different programs and we helped create the Osball program to try and help with recruiting and it worked really well for the women because the Osball came in as a no-touch and you get used to how to play basic, some of the basics. And then we brought them in for that. And it went from me, 
and then we ha we did have we had Amy who came in um, the year prior to practice a bit, but never really played because we didn't really have much of a team. Um, but then she went went through Osball, and she also came in and helped a whole lot. And um, yeah, it just we went from being me to all of a sudden having seven, eight, to having twelve, thirteen girls within a year. Um, and it was that program was the whole part of it um, that it helped with building not just the team, but just the relationships amongst the players. Um, because that's how it's one of those bring them in for Osball where it's, if you're afraid of the physicality of it, it's less physical. It's less, obviously it's not tackle. So then after that, you can ease people into the tackling aspect of the sport. Right. Um, but by that point, they already had the friendship started and they went, Hey, let's try this out. And so you could easily bring in your friends and all that sort of thing. And it was just grew from there. And that, yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is over the next couple of years, you actually developed a pretty consistent side. Um, you mentioned some of the women that came in and also uh, got named to the national team, including, you mentioned Amy Berniarski, but also Stephanie Shipley-Snyder, who uh, would later become president of the of the Columbus Club, as well as Lauren Balsley. And then you had Katrina Scherer, who made it to the Freedom Team in 2017. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, we we got really lucky with the influx of players that we had. Um, amazing talent. Amy, um, Katrina, as you said, um, Lauren Balsley has been amazing. Um, I wish I knew where we found them so we can find more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that uh, actually brings up a, an interesting question, and it's not just uh, with the Cats women, but also uh, the club in general, because uh, the Cats have built – uh, again, a team that uh, was up in Division Two on the men's side for a while, dropped down to the Division Three, but still uh, made it to the Grand Final last year. What's the recruiting push been like there in Columbus? You mentioned uh, that it's a that it is a college town, of course, with Ohio State University or mm -hmm. the Ohio State University, <laughs> if if you prefer. Uh, but um, what's the recruiting been like there, considering all of those factors? I don't always work on the recruiting side because I live an hour away, so I don't always hear everything. Um, but I know we've done like um, flyer pushes where we'll take groups out and just throw out a thousand flyers and put them on cars and whatnot in the Columbus area. Um, we'll have preseason indoor trainings to try and get people in when people are still there. So try and help convince people either to stick around for the summer or we try and find people who are sticking around for the summer. So they, know to stick around a lot of it's just word of mouth a lot of it's bring your friend right <laughs> honestly <laughs> right so uh you mentioned that you live an hour away and yeah. i imagine that that's got to be difficult uh in, in a sense because you know you have to get the practice and once a week and the games as well has that i mean how do you get past that is there are there times when you can work out by yourself or, or how does that how, how does that work on your side um, yeah, a lot of it is working out on my own. Um, it was my old job that got out earlier was a lot easier for me to get to practice on time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then and now it's pretty much, um, when I can make it to practice, I'm almost always late to practice. But, um, yeah, a lot of it's working out on my own. Um, I will take the ball and I'll just, there's a street that leads back to a park 
back near where I live, and I'll just take my ball, and I'll just pretty much kick the ball down the street (laughs) (laughs) to try and work on accuracy and other things. Um, And there's not really much else I can do besides just working on my own. So. Yeah, and I bring that up for two reasons. Obviously, the current environment, um, you know, there's a lot of working out on on one's own. But uh, the other side of that is, is I know there might be people who are looking at the uh, the team list and saying, well, you know, the closest team to me is an hour away. You know, how can I balance that with still uh, staying up to date? I guess with uh, fitness and also the skills. You know, when you're not directly there. I mean, sometimes you have to do that on your own. And, and uh, I know there are other players around the league who do have that, where they do have to drive some way to get to practice every week. So I guess it's good to, to show that uh, they're not alone because, you know, you have to do that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've been doing it from the start. I've always lived an hour away. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it can be a challenge. Um, we don't typically in the past, we haven't really had weekend practices, which I would, if we had weekend practices, I'd be able to make those a lot more easily. Um, but we've been talking from what I hear once we're allowed to practice again, um, of possibly adding in a weekend practice for the Columbus this year, which will be great <laughs> for me. Yeah. It'll be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to travel when you don't have to, uh, you know, work. Um, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> um, let's uh, ask about this. The, you know, I mentioned that Columbus had come back and had this consistent club, but it always seemed like even before the this influx in 2014 that your team was just always just came up short of either advancing to the final or or, or making it to the final. Um, but finally, <laughs> I, I heard that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but no, that's fine. Uh, but 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 t- 2018 comes along, and uh, you were in the game. Uh, now you had been combined with uh, the Philadelphia Hawks, and I believe one or two other teams. I'm trying to remember offhand. This wouldn't be last year, but the year before. Yeah. Um. Maybe Chicago. Yeah. I, yeah, Chicago? that's right. Because I think and you had. I think we. I think we also had a girl from Tulsa. Possibly. Yes. Yes, you had Chelsea uh, Vance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As well from Tulsa, but. Now you're in the grand final against uh, Sacramento, Sacramento. And, and Montreal. And of course, they ended up winning the game. But finally, after all this time, you had the opportunity. And I know that the that the Jills had won the Central Regional back in 2015, uh, right after yeah, this, this influx. Yes. Yeah, but New York. what was it like to get to, to play in that game? Even though you didn't win, you finally got a medal after almost 10 years <laughs> of playing, of playing in the USFL. <laughs> I remember crying on the sideline at the end of that game. Um, that that being, I I don't. It could have been just because it took so long for it to happen, but that was such an emotionally charged game for me. Um, it's probably one of the best um, combined teams that I had ever played on. Um, we seemed to just like the first game that weekend wasn't our greatest game, but each game we somehow managed to just get better and better. And by that grand final, um, like we went in knowing we were the underdogs because Sacramento was combined with Montreal, but I feel like it was still a mainly Sacramento side. I could be wrong on that though. Um, Where they're all practice a lot more than putting five teams together. Um, But we just, there was just something about that team that we had that, we gelled right away from the beginning and just managed to get better with every game that we played. 
and just that grand final is probably the most intense football I've ever played. Um, and it was just amazing. Like, I know I said earlier that the um, playing for the Liberty was an amazing experience and nothing compared to that. But I think especially because of how long it took just to get to a grand final and be able to actually play in it, um, the feeling of that probably about equaled the feeling of playing for the Liberty in 2013, 2014. Nope, 13, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> years get mixed up sometimes. Yes. Um, uh, but, like, the feeling was almost the same. Um, I remember at the end of that game, because it came down to the very end of it, because mm -hmm. um, we we were behind and we were pushing, and we almost came back and got them. And um, even the Sacramento coach came over afterwards and talked to us and said they didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to win that game by the end. Um, they were scared for the game themselves. Yeah, um, that was a tough team because they had Valerie, Valerie Moreau, uh, from Montreal. Uh, yeah. Among the other players, um, they also had Liz Danielson uh, as well, um, who was a freedom player from the year before. They were a good side up and down the track, I think. One thing, now you mentioned the coach for Sacramento, but let's talk about the man who coached the, the Cats women uh, for, from this renaissance, uh, and that is Alan Gardner, who has since uh, now moved on to where he is a team manager for the USA Freedom. But talk about his influence, because you need one piece of glue, I think, to hold together from off the field, and it seemed like he was that for you guys. Yeah, Alan's been amazing throughout all the years, um, from the beginning. Because, um, I mean, the Jill, the Jill's first year was Chet Reidenauer and um, Scott... Um, Matheson. Matheson, thank you. Um, I, apparently, I know first names. Um, Scooter. <laughs> yeah, he's Scooter. Um, but so the first year, and then the second year, Alan came in and started helping. Um, it was the assistant coach. Um, and he has been a mainstay with us from the beginning, and he's been um, absolutely probably our, one of the biggest supporters of women's football, um, at least for the Columbus area, obviously. Um, and from my perspective watching his coaching ability grow throughout the years has been really nice. Um, and just, he isn't afraid to um, get criticism or ask for help. And it's great when he's very easy to talk to. Um, and so he's just, it's been really nice having him there for all the years and it'll be interesting not having him as a coach <laughs> mm -hmm. for this coming season. Right. The cats over the last couple of years have shifted from the Central Regional uh, to the Eastern Region um, from a situation where at the time there wasn't a, a whole lot in terms of women's football. Now there is. But now you're playing with the likes of New York and uh, Boston and Philadelphia and D.C. What's that shift been like and what's the culture been like as they've uh, as you've been a part of that uh, trying to grow the game on the Eastern side of the country? Um, it's been pretty nice, yeah, because, I mean, when the Jills were formed, um, our first game was actually, I think, in, if I'm remembering correctly, in Madison, where we met Milwaukee, um, where we met Minnesota halfway. So, <laughs> there was really nothing close to us team-wise, and there still isn't really, um, but, I mean, we, yeah, it's been nice switching over to the East, um, where we, and um, past few years we've had the the EFL. Um and it's been really nice having that structured league where we actually have structured games um, and a set schedule 
whereas previously we didn't necessarily have that. We'd try and call around and go, who wants to drive eight hours to come play us? Hmm. <laughs> um, but it's been really great being part of that league. Um, and just the, and I don't know, a lot of it is possibly because I'm so used to teaming up with everybody at nationals every year that like, I feel like we've gotten closer with the other clubs in the East than we were previously. Um, and it's, uh, I know when we went to Boston a few years ago for one of the te- uh, games, um, the Boston women actually put a lot of us up in their houses and whatnot. Um, instead of us having to find a hotel to try and help us save some money. Um, and it was just really nice having those kind of experiences where it's not go in, play a game, and you're playing, it's go in and you're playing amongst friends even though it is still competitive. Right. And it's really nice having that, learning from each other, um, but it still remains highly competitive. Uh, very quickly, one last question before the actual last question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been around the club for 10 years now, uh, 11 years now. And one of the things, I've been around the Columbus Club as well, uh, from the Chet Renauer days all the way up through now, and of course the days when um, Stephanie Shipley Snyder was president of the club. Um, The one thing that it seems like has been a constant um, has been the culture of the team. Um, And I know that a number of players have come and gone, but what is the culture of the Columbus Football Club like? We're close. We're friends. Um, our, our Thursday practices, we always go out afterwards to our sponsor pub, Burns Pub, in um, in Grandview area of Columbus. Um, Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but we always go and have a couple drinks and have and afterwards and just hang out. We have always been a friend first type club um, that I think has helped keep us together for a lot of it. Um, yes, we are competitive. Yes, we want, obviously, to go and win nationals and do what we can throughout the summer and whatnot, but I feel like our friendships have always come first, and I think that really has helped keep the club around for as long as it's been around. Right. Now, here is the last question. I always ask to, I always like to ask a, a fun question. You are an unquestionably diehard fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey team. Yes. Which current Penguins player do you think would excel the most at Australian rules football and why? Oh, that is an interesting question. And I was not expecting it. You should have prepared me. Nope. Um, no preparation. <laughs> um, I... I mean, this might sound cliche and horrible and people will probably yell at me, but probably Crosby, Sidney Crosby. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched his, some of his, like he'll put out workout videos sometimes for the off season where he hangs out and works out with Nathan McKinnon and whatnot. And the stamina he has for things and just his lower body workouts. And he still has speed even when he's not on skates Um, and the coordination and his, I mean, he has one of the best hand-eye coordinations in the NHL, and I think it would easily, easily go over for Aussie rules as well. Yeah, you need that. Um, <laughs> the good news is he wouldn't have to skate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. He'd probably prefer to skate, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I like that answer. That was a good. That was a good one. Uh, of course, you'll have us Flyers fans trying to uh, knock him over, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> he had I mean, his lower body. You're not going to knock him over very right. easily. 
Low center of gravity. I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Stephanie McKittrick, thank you so much for joining us here on Marks and Stripes. Best of luck to you this season and going forward with the Columbus Cats. Thank you very much, Brian. That's going to do it for us this week. And uh, again, keep an eye on uh, all of our channels, usafl.com, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at USAFL1997 for updates as the 2020 USAFL season gets poised to hopefully resume in a couple of months. And we do hope that you are uh, uh, keeping uh, active in some way, and we invite you to join us uh, on Wednesdays and on Saturdays. On Wednesdays, we have Workout Wednesdays with... Uh, some great uh, just workout routines as developed by some of the folks in the USAFL community, as well as weekly workouts on uh, Saturday at noon Eastern time. Uh, we have great workouts this week. We have uh, yoga with Rena Eliezer. Next Saturday's session will be led by Tegan Hamilton, who was a guest of ours a couple of weeks ago. So uh, yeah, sign up for that. All the information is on our website, USA. And of course, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter for, I guess, because I'm at least moderately interesting, or you think that, you can give me a follow at Barish, B-A-R-R-I-S-H, U-S-A-F-L. Our thanks to Jennifer Elliott and to Stephanie McKittrick for joining us this week, and our thanks to you for keeping us company for the last 57 minutes. My name is Brian Barish. Be safe, be healthy, and I'll talk at you next time.